0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps. I'm joined by my regular buddy and banter
1: Gabriel Darek Esquire. Don't you know? Gabe, that. I love it. <laughs> That's the worst. Gabe Darek, Killer.
0: Every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two classic twin movies about a young animated male ant with oddball tendencies who suffers an existential crisis as he challenges social conformity and struggles to win a princess's hand by saving their society. That was a long one. It's Ants versus A Bug's Life. Let the
1: games begin. Is that the actual synopsis of one of the movies, or did you just make that up to cover both?
0: I actually made that up to cover both because that is exactly the plot of both films. Well done. Very good. Yeah, that's how similar they are. So let's kick up a review of these twin movies with a flashback to our first encounter with them. On the fourth of October nineteen ninety-eight, ants was released. Here's the IMB synopsis. A rather neurotic ant tries to break from his conformist society while trying to win the affection of a princess he loves. Gabe, did you originally catch ants when it was released at the cinema? And what was that experience like for you?
1: I did. I'm not quite sure why I saw it at the cinema. Like in nineteen ninety-eight, I would have been what like fifteen or sixteen years old. And by that stage, definitely the sort of movies I wanted to see at the cinema were things like, you know, Blade and Dark City and Out of Sight and Simple Plan or Ronan, you know, that sort of movie, which was sort of, those are some popular movies in 1998. So, I must have seen Ants and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe because my sister wanted to see it and she was younger than me or maybe because it was just like, there were much more cutting edge graphics that in retrospect is just weird. I don't actually remember anything about it having seen it at the cinema, and I hadn't seen it in the interim, so watching it recently for this was kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, I'm not – I don't know why I saw it at the – maybe a family outing or something, but not presumably a particularly good one because I have zero recollection. What about you? Well,
0: regular listeners will know that in the window of 1998 to 2000 inclusive for a three-year window, I was a manager of an art house cinema, and these films – fall smack bang into that window of time. And we actually showed this film. And the reason why we showed it, I think, is because the mainstream cinemas actually abandoned it or gave it a really short run because they could actually see A Bug's Life on the horizon. And so I think it played for a couple of weeks in a mainstream cinema, then came to our arthouse cinema. So I saw the first 10 minutes of this film and the last 10 minutes of this film about 50 times when I'd open and close the cinema between sessions. So I know those details really, really well. And I remember at the time liking it and thinking that it was the anti kitty version of this story. It was the one, just the casting alone with Woody Allen and so on, it was targeted more at an older audience, not like at the young, young kids. And so from that point of view, the rebel in me, kind of liked its, you know, more mature spirit. So, I remember the film, I've probably seen the film now two or three times. And at the time, I I remember being pretty impressed by the quality of the graphics, which we'll get to. And I kind of like the dark aesthetic, or I did like it then. But my impressions of watching it now, which we'll get to in our review, are totally different as to what they were way back then.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think, weirdly more so than any other kind of twin movie duo we've done. It feels like my opinions of both of these two movies have changed quite drastically since I saw them. And maybe it's because I was a kid and I sort of liked the more contemporary adult nature of ants. But then as an adult watching it, I'm like, who is this for? So you're right, without getting too much into it, very odd sort of switch that happened with these movies in terms of my critical appraisal of them.
0: Yeah, totally. So, later on, on the 25th of November 1998, A Bug's Life was released, and here's its IMDb synopsis. A misfit ant, looking for warriors to save his colony from greedy grasshoppers, recruits a group of bugs that turn out to be an inept circus troupe. So, how about you, Gabe? When and how did you catch Bug's Life the first time round?
1: I saw this at the movies as well. Look, to be honest, I distinctly kind of remember – not wanting to go to it and thinking it was just some like dumb cartoon for children, and that's basically all I remember. I don't really, I don't really know. It was just one of those movies. Like, why would I want to go see this bright, poppy, colourful, stupid movie about some dumbass bugs? That stupid caterpillar in the trailers, or whatever, with his dumbass German accent. I think I just found a, a grieving as a kid and just really didn't want to go and go and see it. And I hadn't therefore seen it since I had seen it. And so, watching it for this was kind of a nice surprise.
0: So, almost the reverse impression of Ants. Exactly. Yeah, I saw it myself at the cinema and I'd really enjoyed Toy Story. Now, just to set the table for how I feel about animated films, I'm probably the cinephile who's a bit of a snob. I do not believe that animated films are for kids. But I also hate the idea that adults get so obsessed with them and treat them With a degree of reverence as an art form in cinema, which to me often feels disproportionate to the quality of those animated films, in that for some reason, some animated films, I feel are given more of a pass because they are animated, opposed to being held to the same standard in relation to characterization and plot and pacing and so on. So, I'm not against animated films at all, but there's also part of me that essentially, it's not my preferred genre. So I loved Toy Story when I first saw it and I was really anticipating this film because I loved, I guess, The Simpsons-like adult subtext or those jokes that sort of spanned kids and adults in Toy Story. And so I came to Bug's Life hoping for the same thing and I wasn't that disappointed. There's a lot of kind of, you know, humour that's kind of aimed at the parents or the older audience as much as the kids. But it didn't actually... Engage me with the same kind of wit and satire and sarcasm as Toy Story.
1: Right, right. And when you say, what, like adults with reverence for animated films, what do you mean? Like
0: You know, there's that cool thing where, you know, there are memes or moments in time where people all praise something which is daggy like bacon because Homer Simpson likes bacon. And then for this window of time on Twitter for a year, everyone's just talking about bacon, that bacon was so daggy as a form of processed meat. It was cool. And I feel that with some animated films is that same idea. Like it's people are trying so hard to make the point that they're not cartoons, that they're not for children, that they kind of veer too much to the other extreme and take pride. It's like adults who wear onesies, you know. It's like (laughs) you're trying too hard to try and prove that this is a great piece of cinema. It's like it's fine. It's a good film. And that's also my personal bias as well in that, It's pretty rare that I would get close to crying or feel the same emotional connection or fear or feel my heart pound like watching, say, those final moments of heat, you know, that film just dripping with testosterone, Michael Mann's film, and this incredible score and this moment of reflection between these antagonist and a protagonist. And I wouldn't watch an animated film like any animated film and feel – you know, the same sense of pathos I might feel watching a live-action film.
1: So, that's my personal bias. You'll cry when the music soars and the testosterone drips, but not when, you know, a spunky young, uh, plucky young uh, bug determines his destiny and and so on. Okay. Well, okay. Well, look, it's interesting you say that because I've got a few very distinct memories of, say, in my 30s or whatever, going along to a a Pixar movie and seeing it at, like, 8.30 – PM and the cinema is full, but it's full of n- nothing but like 37-year-old people all watching the movie. And I guess I kind of think it's a little bit lame.
0: That's how I feel. It's like the whole idea of ever watching just superhero films. I think, oh, really? Like, Can't we watch something that has, I don't know, a few more corners to it that's a bit sharper, that's a bit more edgy? I feel like the superhero decade we look back upon as perhaps I don't know, kind of like not challenging the audiences as much as they could have been. Now, I I totally get, by the way, that many adult audiences and you know, mid-range films and so on have all migrated and evolved into really interesting, challenging TV that's steep in characterisation and challenging themes and moral ambiguity and more violence and more sex and all those sorts of things – that's where we're at basically. We've got basically roller coaster movies which are pretty tame at the cinema in the form of Marvel or DC type like films. And I kind of feel animated films can often be the same. Yeah, and- totally,
1: totally. And look, we might get we might get criticized for for having a what you could argue is a low opinion of 40-year-olds who are, are really into Pixar cartoons for children. But um oh well, too bad. Enjoy your corduroy jackets. <laughs> It's funny you should say that because my partner
0: literally just asked me this morning, would I like a corduroy jacket? And I said, I like corduroy jackets, but no, I'm a minimalist. The windows I have to wear corduroy jackets are few and far between, and I could buy one for an upcoming wedding in our summer here, but realistically, I won't wear it again, so park the cords.
1: Yeah. And so, look, I guess it's that thing where it's like some things look like they're made just for kids – And it's fine to like a product that was made for a child, but that's what you're doing. But what's interesting, I guess, is that the things that I reacted to with both of these movies, I actually preferred the one that seemed much more ostensibly for kids now as an adult than the one that when I was a kid seemed like it was more geared towards adults. So I actually like the movie that seems more sure of just what it, Is, I guess. Okay, let's jump into then
0: Ants on our review of that. And that's a really good point you make. And I think it comes back to this. We think of Ants as being one of the first 3D animated films. It's actually the third. There was Toy Story first and then another film and then this film and then Bug's Life shortly afterwards. And so we identified in cinema history as being one of those first three-dimensional films, animated films, computer films, I should say, opposed to hand-drawn two-dimensional films. But I always think it's one of those films that was trying to push the boundaries as to what an adult film or a more mature animated film could be. Like, we don't have the history like the Japanese do, where anime is created for a diversity of audiences from 5 to 95. Very much in the past, Disney's characterised their output as being much more family or children-focused. And the whole idea of having this film with Woody Allen as the protagonist says a lot in terms of who you cast who's an art house filmmaker who matures to adult viewer sensibilities. Same with casts like Gene Hackman and so on. And even the the premise of having a neurotic ant, having a kind of midlife crisis, all very adult, mature-like themes. So that's really interesting, I think. So, yeah, I think um, we should talk about how that film's aged in that context where the animated Cinema history has matured since then, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's interesting. Was this film ahead of its time in terms of having sort of more... I mean, this has, like, quite adult themes throughout as opposed to, you know, Shrek, which just has the occasional, like, joke that would fly over a kid's head and, you know, some adults would be like, oh, I do get that. Yes, uh, but a kid wouldn't. Understand. This, on the other hand, is like... These are big sequences about working-class uprisings, you know, this sort of Marxist epiphanies and stuff like that, which not only would fly over kids' heads, but it would just be kind of befuddling for them. Like, the the opening scene of Woody Allen Ant, Woody Ant, in the sort of, like, psychiatrist's office and stuff, it just made me think, like, who's this movie for? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's lots of movies where you do wonder, like, what is this strange beast? Who was it made for? And that doesn't not necessarily make them bad. But this one I was definitely thinking if I was – what's the sort of target age for Pixar movies? Eight-year-olds? Eight-year-olds? I don't know. Yeah.
0: I'd say five to right. 55 or five to 95.
1: Yeah. Well, like – okay, sure. So, people who don't have fully formed brains and people with dementia. <laughs> who is this one for? And it's so funny you
0: mentioned that scene, Gabe, because that actually was the first trailer for Ants. Right. Right. It was actually Woody Harrel- uh, Woody Harrelson. Woody not Allen. Woody Harrelson. Woody Allen on the psychiatrist's couch talking. And that was like- It was one of those trailers that was basically a, like a, a self-contained scene. Right. Which pretty much out of the gate is saying this is for a more mature audience. I mean, it's the idea of an animated character having a sort of midlife crisis or a mid-20s crisis. How old's the ant anyway? I think he's meant to be in his 20s- by human terms, right? He's like a younger ant, isn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean I'm sure he's younger, but it's never really explained where he falls or, or like how many how many how many days to an ant is to a human year or whatever. So, no idea. He might be like four days old. Yeah, possibly.
0: I think the interesting thing about it is Woody Allen straight away brings a certain and this is obviously we'll get to this but in terms of before Uh, the increased focus on his personal life and the controversy in relation to that. He's always been known as someone who's played neurotic characters and written and directed neurotic characters and made films about neurotic characters. So, all that's a sort of very smart move as a shorthand to characterising this particular ant. And I think it's a really smart play by both films to have a theme, which is about a free thinker trying to fight against a conformist culture, right? It makes sense. It really makes sense. Like, that's to me a really sensible way to approach it. Like, because we do think of ants and bees and so on as being colonies of conformists and we even have an expression, right, called the worker drone. Totally. Like, it's reflecting the person who lives in the office cubicle and here we are living these concrete versions of hives or termite nests and so on. So, I do think that both films took advantage of the theme to match to the insect. And the idea of someone then kind of questioning that is a great idea. The funny thing is that the films approach it in different ways. Woody Allen's character, Zed or Z, plays a neurotic ant having a young or midlife crisis. Whereas at Bug's Life, they kind of do it more like he's a, a flick, the character, the protagonist in a Bug's Life is more of a flippant character. And an in- innovator, and inventive, and is excitable, and so he kind of bucks the trend in that way. He's much more, excuse the pun, animated in the way that he kind of works against the system.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think with Ant, that's something that really struck me that Zed or Z is this kind of ineffectual, insecure kind of wimp, and not particularly funny. Like a lot of his like, I didn't really think played all that well. And I think the distinction that you make between the two sort of like lead ants is a really good one because I found, without getting too much into a review of a Bugs Life, the character of Flick much more interesting and endearing than the character of Z, who was is just for a lot of ants a real buzzkill. You know, just a real wet noodle of a character. You know, there's a few occasion, like occasionally funny things. Like, I thought it was really funny that Z accidentally sort of starts this worker ant uprising. But he didn't even mean to do that. He did that accidentally. You know, his relationship with the princess, which I thought their first scene when they were in the big dance hall, was really good, really funny. But then she has this weird flip in characterization where she starts kind of interesting but then suddenly becomes kind of like Willie from The Temple of Doom. <laughs> What do you mean by that? Well, just really irritating. She suddenly becomes super conceited. Just neither of these two characters, like, I understand you want the characters to change and you want sort of opposites to attract, but just their whole love story, I just thought was just like, it started well, but then just became horrible to spend time with them, with these two ants. And not to mention, I absolutely hate the design of the ants in Ants.
0: So let's get to that, the actual aesthetics. So- they decide to stick with the number of limbs, more or less, that these ants have as real ants. Is that right? I think they all have two or three bottom legs, and then they've got like conventionally two, like human arms up top.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is gross. Their additional legs down the bottom, are gross looking. I don't like it.
0: They look. They're- Plus, they're really square heads and so oh, on as well. Like- I
1: don't quite. They're square heads, and they're sort of like faces that look sort of sort of weirdly superimposed onto their very angular heads. A hundred percent.
0: Like, it's like it's been superimposed. Yeah. Like, it's like a- You know those horror movie trailers where you see a face coming out of the wall? Like yeah, through Like, totally. through the wallpaper? It looks a bit like that. The
1: Frighteners or something. Yeah. It looks weird. Like, kind of weird and very much like a mid-90s video game cutscene. Like polygon-style yeah. graphics. And look, I don't know- I rented this on the PlayStation Network. I rented the HD copy- but it looked really, really low res and dark, and and just kind of like like the whole thing just seemed just I don't know dank. It was just all just the set like it just looked mouldy. I don't know. Maybe it was the color palette they chose for the whole thing. Certainly those design choices with the the ants, but also making the ants brown. You know, a bug's life kind of makes the ants what color are they like gray, a green, blue, right? blue, just much more vibrant. Uh, whereas ants just has like this. I don't know, an unsettling dour palette. It just, it just doesn't do it for me.
0: My kids started to cry when Ant <laughs> started. Right, <laughs> Like it was so dark, I had to actually hit the dynamic mode on the TV remote, which is something I normally do when it's really bright outside and the sun's shining through the window so you can see the TV. But I had the windows closed, the curtains drawn. It was already dark inside the living room anyway. I pressed play And was still really muddy on screen. Because the the ants are brown. The backgrounds are kind of black. There's like a purple hue as well off to the side. I mean, I get it. They're trying to create a dark aesthetic to match the sombre tone of our neurotic ant played by Woody Allen. But, you know, out of the gate, as a family film, it's not welcoming or accessible. Now, I'm not saying that every film should be chipper and cheery. Like, I love my... Films like The Road or Mad Max Fury Road and so on. But for an animated film that was trying to capture a child audience as well as an adult audience, and I suspect they were because they spent $100 million plus making this. So, I'm pretty sure they were trying to capture all four quadrants of the audience. And then when they peered, the kids were really just unsettled. <laughs> they found the design of the ants really creepy. Yeah, now, you've totally. got a serious problem, if – the kids who are a major percentage of your audience are finding your protagonist to be unsettling. Not just the antagonist, like Gene Hackman's character, but even like Stallone's character Weaver, who's a really sort of strong, brutish worker, but friends to Woody Allen and quite sympathetic to him and so on. He's pretty intimidating as well. And he's meant to be someone you're rooting for as well as Z. So, yeah, it's odd. And even the love interest, right? I mean, I know it's hard to make an ant look pretty or feminine, and that's the objective, I think, in both films. But they don't do a great job. And I've got to say, credit where credit is due, because the voice actors, I think, do a lot with their voice to embed these characters with personality beyond their visual representation.
1: I think their roles are well cast. Like, I think- if you wanted a neurotic ant in 1998, Woody Allen is a good piece of casting. Like you said earlier, if you, if you close your eyes and imagine an incredibly neurotic person speaking to their shrink, you probably you know you could picture Woody Allen. You know, same with Sylvester Stallone. I think is well cast as kind of like his brutish dumbbell warrior ant pal. But I just can't get over their dang faces. Like it's weird because the Bugs Life bug has teeth, so it's not the teeth. But just the ants—they've got teeth. They're weird looking. They've got them human, humany sort of eyes, sort of jowly faces, ah, yeah. angular. W- it's like they made—they
0: made every weird choice. Like they say that if you want to have a soft character, you'll have a round face. And when they made that grumpy old guy in that Pixar film Up, they deliberately gave him a squarish face to make him seem a little bit more unappealing and hostile. And then his wife who dies in the opening sequence, spoilers for Pixar's Up, has a diamond-shaped face. So, there are these animation traditions where you'll have a shape of a face to reflect a personality. It's basically a psychological shorthand. And it's like they've made every deliberate choice to make these characters seem unappealing. Like (laughs) sharp edges, points on their heads so that they kind of have almost like horns weirdly angular faces, but then noses and eyes oddly superimposed over a flat face, Um, like very unusual. And I don't know, again, I kind of admire them being experimental in a sense, but – and maybe this is the problem. Maybe the problem is just that the film should have leaned heavily, more heavily, into being aimed at adults. But because it had a $100 million price tag, it couldn't do that, and so it becomes – A jack of all trades master of none.
1: Yeah. I mean, who wants to see a hundred million dollar animated ants movie that's aimed only at adults? Like, what do we get to? What do we get in that that I never knew I wanted? But holy shit, I get to watch a whole bunch of ants fuck hardcore style. Like, I don't. It's super violent ant wars. I mean, Danny Glover's ant character gets decapitated in this. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. And this film also has like sexual references and. References to drinking out of a bug's anus and um, (laughs) it's odd. Like this film actually is one of the few films in the last 20 years that's animated that has a USPG rating for sexual references and violence and uh, coarse language. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they dropped the word shit or something kind of similar in this, which is odd because when I was watching with my kids, everyone has been so inculcated to expect a certain formula presentation where- it's that G rating, that G classification, that everyone kind of went, oh, <laughs> Like, it was a little bit more shocking than expected for this type of film.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, do you think it's a case of the film not quite knowing exactly who it's aimed for? Or is it a case of it knew who it's aimed for, it just missed us? I think it's one of
0: those situations, like many Hollywood productions, where the train leaves the station and there's a certain agenda. And then things change on the way and they're building the train as it's on the tracks. And then you're kind of committed to something already, but it's too late. Um, I'll get to a casting a coulda, where they actually had even recorded stuff with a particular actor who then dropped out. Um, and so, you know, they're going in a certain direction with a certain tone and they kind of, you know, switch tracks or change lanes to mix metaphors and they're too far down the road. And also, too, to be fair, I'm assuming that with the race against a bug's life, that's probably going to mean there's less time for consideration, consultation as well. And maybe also too, which we'll get to in the history of these two films, one of the producers, Katzenberg, who started off DreamWorks Pictures with Steven Spielberg, he may have been just trying to create something that was very un-Disney. Um, yeah, I right. think by this stage Pixar had been bought by Disney. So you're just trying to create something which it goes against your old employer and against – the market leader, to be a point of difference.
1: Yeah, right. And I suppose it – I guess it does do that, right? Like we say, from the very first scene, it certainly sets its tone as what it is for better or worse.
0: Yeah, exactly. Perhaps we should jump to our review now of A Bug's Life. So, Gabe, what are your thoughts, what, 20 years later – On the legacy of Bug's life by itself and then in comparison to Ants.
1: Like I said a little earlier, I think when I saw this as a kid, I probably didn't like it very much. I think the sort of animated movies I liked at the age I was when this came out were probably more like Fist of the North Star and Akira and shit like that. Like (laughs) violent anime or something. Or, like, certainly I, I have a recollection of being a little bit dragged along to this and thinking it's just a bright poppy movie for kids younger than I was then. Watching it very recently, i got to say, I, I didn't find it dull. It was a pretty fun film, certainly as a kind of riff on The Seven Samurai. Um, I thought it was um, pretty good. I like the design of it. Look, I like the design of it a lot more than um, I like the design of ants. I like the design of all the characters. And I'll tell you the thing that I really like about Bugs Life, I guess in comparison to ants, they opened up the world and had a whole bunch of other insects, which seems so kind of obvious, whereas ants just seem so so antsy. Whereas the thing that I liked most about a Bugs Life was a sort of rogues gallery of bugs, like Dennis Leary is the sort of surly, tough-talking lady beetle, you know, it seems like a kind of inspired bit of a character design. So, overall, I found this one pretty pleasantly surprising. I don't think it's top-tier Pixar, but it's it certainly, you know, held my attention. What about you?
0: Yeah, look, I pretty much agree with you mostly on that review. I enjoy Pixar's films generally. I think this is one of their better films, one of their best films. I agree. I love the rogues gallery of other insects, like by widening that world, because it means that you've got to try and play with different design evolution based on different types of insects, but remain consistent in that same aesthetic. So by choosing these, ants as only having, I think, four limbs, like two legs and two arms. You've already decided to kind of like make a choice to make it more humanoid, which I think was a smart move, because if you look at ants, Literally in their form, they're not particularly warm characters like, say, a panda bear or something like that. They've got like, they look kind (laughs) of creepy. If you imagine like giant ants at human size, that's closer to being a John Carpenter horror film than being something like an animated Pixar film. (laughs) So, So,
1: wait, them, that movie from the 1950s about the giant radio. Yeah, exactly. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And how many films do we see through, you know, the science fiction genre, particularly in the 50s and 60s and 70s, where the aliens essentially resemble like a praying mantis of sorts. Yeah. In this film, they've got a praying mantis, but he's kind of characterised as this mysterious, like a mystique, a magician, and uses the right traits amplified in just the right ways to match that particular circus profession, but also in casting a particular voice, it all cohesively comes together as being distinctive character. And so- I think they did well in both design, variety of insects, and then voices to match those insects, and plus their you know particular expertise if they were from the circus from that troupe. Yeah. So yeah, totally that worked really well. Yeah, I thought uh, it had the right aesthetic too to match the tone. I think one thing that annoyed me about both films slightly is that some of the action in the plot happens through accident, through happenstance, opposed to the characters being more active. It's not a you know, a game changer, or I should say, it doesn't ruin the film for me. But both Flick and Z, both heroes, the journey's kind of embarked by them stuffing up and then they have to kind of find their way back. But after that initial catalyst, they are actively trying to remedy their mistakes, which is fine, which is fine. But interesting to actually have that same, that similar plot point in both films is another similarity.
1: But lots of, I guess, lots of, surely that's that's a common sort of trope, right? Like, the sort of- Yeah, like I said, it's, it just annoyed me slightly. I, I think because I saw both films back
0: to back in rewatching them for this podcast, that that just had jumped out at me. Right. So, that's more, I guess, just another similarity between the films opposed to being a fundamental problem with them. I enjoyed both films in spite of that.
1: It's interesting, I think, though, because while I liked it less, it feels like- Ants' plot is slightly more original, whereas Bugs Life feels like, like I said, very Seven Samurai, but also Three Amigos, it almost feels like they just mush those two movies together, switched out Ants, and, you know, there's a few beats in it that are just absolutely- And, like, obviously, I think the Seven Samurai one was very specifically done. Like, I don't think they're hiding that influence. I think the Three Amigos plot is not so much an influence, as just a sort of, like, subtle lift. I can't imagine a lot of eight year olds big up on, you know, Akira Kurosawa's samurai movies that that would interest or bother them.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that actually brings me to some of the uh, behind the scenes making of trivia about these movies. It's funny, I did some research and I didn't actually see any references to the Three Amigos or the Seven Samurai, but I totally agree with you. Apparently, the origins in the first instance for A Bug's Life is that it's loosely based on Aesop's fable, The Ant and the Grasshopper, which is pretty much the same story. But what happens is the grasshoppers come to the ants and beg for food, whereas they switched it up in this case to make it that the grasshoppers took the food, demanded the food to add more conflict.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I don't really know this. Aesop, when did he make movies? Uh,
0: Exactly.
1: That influence didn't really bounce out at me, but- but fuck yeah, I've seen Seven Samurai. So, you know, the idea of the the farmers having to go off to find a band of people to help defend their village was pretty obvious. I loved the, or oh, I didn't love, I quite liked that they were circus performers. And one thing I kind of wish it did more with it, I think there's a few of the sort of motley crew that are very well defined. Like I said, um, Dennis Leary's Ladybug, for better or worse, that stupid ass caterpillar, which I can't stand. Which, uh, when I was watching the movie, I had all these flashbacks to the ads when Bugs Life came out, and that fucking caterpillar. Oh, it just it's just like. Why does he bug you oh, so much? I hate his accent. I hate the look of him. I want to squash it. Honestly, I spent the whole movie watching it, just going, I wish I could reach into the screen and just squish this fucking caterpillar. Just so aggrieving. But the problem is then that a few of the other members of the team don't really sort of get to do much at all. I think the butterfly, for instance, she maybe only gets like three or four lines. There's probably one or two more that I can't even remember. I mean, I do like those two little idiot rolly beetles or whatever they are. But it- Oh, those guys steal the show. The two, are they fleas? No, they're not fleas, I don't know. they're beetles, aren't but- they?
0: But they are awesome with the kind of like, it's like a Mexican style accent, but they're speaking nonsense, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know if that's problematic or whatever, but... But that, well, I'm not sure. That's pretty I mean, funny. But are they actually speaking Spanish? Don't know. Are, are they Spanish fleas? Is that what they are?
0: But no, the circus- Yeah, that's right. The circus owner is the flea, and they're like bedbugs or something, aren't they? Yeah. It feels like it's kind of like nonsense talk, like mutley from wacky races, just because no one seems to respond to them as if they are speaking sensibly. But then, I don't know, I could be entirely wrong in actually saying something in another language, but it feels like it's kind of just- um, a lot of – a mishmash of different types of words.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, look, like I said, they're pretty memorable, but the big um, – like the praying mantis, I couldn't tell you what that character did at all, what his skill is, what his – and that's the thing that I often really love about these movies in a way where you you assemble a team. It's like what is everyone's skill? What is their, like, particular character trait? What happens when you end up with – what do they each do and how do they complement each other? And – It's a shame when one or two feel like they've faded into the background. But on the plus side, you know, like, I I guess, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It feels like Brad Garrett's big dung beetle or whatever, rhinoceros beetle, could have done more.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do think that's the risk of having so many characters. But the positive is that the characters give the film holistically a lot of personality. Like... As you said before, there's more variety in these characters by having other insects besides ants. So if you don't have a film about conformity and fighting conformity and having diversity of voices, it makes sense that you bring in other characters like the circus troupe to represent other genders, species, personalities and so on to provide more perspective in terms of the benefits of diversity, whereas in Ants, also, visually, too, by having the same looking characters, particularly when they're all brown, in a brown dirt hole, without any variety visually or other personality, except for a couple of, I think they were hornets or something, or wasps, which, who they meet along the yeah. way at a um, yeah. at a picnic. It just, I don't know, it makes the film feel less interesting. The world doesn't feel as fleshed out and realistic.
1: Yeah, which is weird because thematically you go, well, that makes sense, right? Like You can imagine the high-powered meeting of some kind where they're like, well, you know, we need to represent sameness and conformity in the world of the ants. Oh, I know, we'll make them all look the same, move the same, same colour in like brown ants against a brown dirt backdrop. What's not to love? I'm sure you could have hit those thematic beats, sort of like Bugs Life does while having a fun spider character along for the ride too.
0: Exactly. Okay, let's uh, move on to a bit of trivia, but let's start with which film has
1: aged better? I think we'd have to agree, A Bug's Life, oh, wouldn't we? 100%. Like, it still looks pretty good. Maybe you, we should say, you have some kids and I don't, so I'm just a sad weirdo watching this alone, and you probably see more sort of animated movies than I do. Does A Bug's Life still hold up reasonably well looks-wise? I mean, I thought so, but what do you reckon? Yeah, it's a good point because
0: kids these days are brought up to watch CG films and so the question is can they watch a 2D hand-drawn film and still find it as interesting or can they even identify with it because the aesthetic could be like the equivalent between black and white and colour to them. And they enjoyed A Bug's Life because it is in 3D. It's not 3D. What are we calling it? It's it's computer-generated. So they it still looks modern enough as does Toy Story, except for the human characters in Toy Story, this film still looks modern enough to stand up to their contemporary appreciation for modern animated films. I think the two problems with Ants is, one, the design choice, which is irrespective of when it was made, and two is that despite it being made for a lot of money, I'll get to the background in a sec as to how it was made, it does look more dated. It looks like a cutscene from a computer game from the 90s, like you say. has yeah. a polygon yeah. look. And so that, to them, looked dated. It was like that choice you make anywhere in the making of a film is that you often try and work with the limitations of your, your technology to not show how limited your technology is. So when they made Jurassic Park, they shot at night, they used rain, they carefully edited it with a mixture of – computer-generated dinosaurs, and animatronic puppets. And people say, oh, that film from 1993, Jurassic Park, looks better, the, the dinosaurs look, look better than Jurassic World released 25 years later. Yeah, totally. And I think similarly they used the right character design in A Bug's Life that stands the test of time because it didn't point out the flaws or the limitations of the technology at the time, whereas I think Ants does. So, Yeah. That's where they stood. For me, the weird part as to why both films are dated is the casting of two particular actors, and I think you know which ones
1: I'm referring to. And uh, Woody Allen. and Bancroft? No, oh, Woody I Allen. get it, Dan Aykroyd. He's not in movies anymore.
0: <laughs> That's right. Woody Allen, as the lead in Ants, who's in recent times through the Me Too campaign and other issues has, I guess, become less popular <laughs> with most <laughs> okay. audiences, yep, sure. would be a very... Tame way of expressing his fall from grace. And uh, Kevin Spacey, for similar reasons, who played uh, Hopper, the key antagonist, the mean grasshopper in A Bug's Life.
1: And I mean, I guess so- if you're behind the scenes, John Lasseter as well, the director of A Bug's yeah, Life, yeah, yeah. found himself in some trouble after allegations came out about him.
0: Yeah, all falling under the hashtag Me Too and Time's Up movement in terms of personal life. Problematic choices um, that they made and, you know, damage they allegedly caused. So, that's interesting from that point of view. Let's go into Little Did You Know. We just spoke about the origins of A Bug's Life. Um, Ants is loosely based in the novel Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Really? Um, But apparently it also – yeah, and has strong elements from The Red Badge of Courage from 1951 and the, the novella Anthem by – I've always questioned this. Do you pronounce it Ayn Rand or Unrand? Ayn Rand? Yeah, Ayn Rand, is it?
1: Ayn Rand? Fucking numpty.
0: So, that's allegedly the influences. Obviously, I do feel when they often talk about the influences of films, they often choose these references to try and elevate their film, and your common criticism is how they would refer to that Marvel film, Captain America – to The Winter Soldier as being a modern version of Three Days of the Concord Condor.
1: Massive jerk-off motion. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, to try and, you know, elevate the impression as to the authenticity of the genre and the quality of the film. So, anyway, for what it's worth, they're apparently the influence- right. influences on Ants and Bugs Life.
1: I mean, I think there's some stuff going on in Ants, but saying, oh, it's influenced by objectivism, and Rand's philosophy, I mean, maybe, but that doesn't make the movie better. <laughs> that sort of d- exactly. diminishes in my in my mind, fucking Anne Rand. And 1984, totally. I don't really see that much at all. But all right, yeah, power to them if they're coming out with where we're influenced by that, sure, sure, sure.
0: <laughs> Let's jump to casting what a shoulda couldas. Now, on IMDb, it is odd. Someone has listed about... 100 characters that were considered, or so 100 actors that were considered for the roles of various characters to the point that I'm not sure if it's a joke or not. In which film? But for ants. Oh, right, okay. So I'll just give you a few of them allegedly. Apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger was originally offered the part of Weaver, but when he wanted to be paid for the role, and when I say paid, I don't mean paid more, I mean just paid, full stop. They said no and it went to Sylvester Stallone who was willing to do it for free. That seems odd to me. I can't imagine him doing it for free. Okay. That seems like BS.
1: Maybe he had another movie in development with DreamWorks at the time or something.
0: Yeah. And apparently Sarah Jessica Parker had recorded dialogue for this movie for Ants but was actually later fired for unspecified reasons and was replaced by Sharon Stone. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, apparently. This is from IMDb, so take that with a grain <laughs> sure. salt. Sure. All right, let's jump to spot the Aussie in either Ants and or A Bug's Life. I actually don't think there were any, were there?
1: I didn't notice any. and it's a missed opportunity to not have some sort of- Wait, Australia doesn't really have famous beetles. We have some famous spiders, I guess.
0: Um, yeah, or a spider country and snakes.
1: Yeah, could have had a bloody redback spider in there, an Australian redback spider. Instead, they've just oh, got the uh, alleged rock spider, Kevin Spacey. Huh, look out. There's a lawsuit <laughs> heading our way.
0: Oh, shots fired. Uh, edit that part out. <laughs> Allegedly. Let's jump to a bit of Hollywood history. Now, unlike any twin movie we've done before, there was actually more controversy about the making of these two films. It's uh, pretty long, so I'll just try and summarise it as quickly as possible. But it starts with... As I mentioned earlier, Katzenberg, one of the EPs, the producers leaving Disney, and there's controversy as to whether he had heard this idea about a neurotic ant having an adventure from John Lasseter, who worked at Pixar for Disney in the first instance, whether it was based on another story that was allegedly submitted to DreamWorks. The end result was both films went into production, but there was actually a lot of bad talk about each other's films in the media, like to the press. And Katzenberg was so keen, this being, I think it was either his first or second animated film, the other one was Prince of Egypt, that he spent a bucket load on a company that Pixar had used in the past. He essentially took some of those people, did a start-up, and pumped as much money as possible into the production to try and speed things along. So they could accelerate their deadline and get the film out with a runway of about six months before a Bugs Life came out. So the budget apparently was at the time reported to be around forty million. But actually if you weigh up the cost of creating an entire animation company to make it, which they paid for, it's close to a hundred.
1: And did they use this company for other later movies? Like did they
0: no, but apparently this company—I think so—but this company also then had a friendship with Pixar down the track. So essentially, after the films came out, Evelyn just gone with it. But wait, friendship apparently with Pixar or with DreamWorks. As, yeah, with Pixar. With Pixar. Oh, with Pixar. Yeah. Well, that's all confusing. I know, and there was also a lot of bad talk between Steve Jobs and Katzenberg, because Steve Jobs obviously in the early days started up Pixar for TV commercial reasons. And so he had a lot to say in the press about Katzenberg. Most of it started about the idea of had Katzenberg stolen the intellectual property or the storyline anyway, the concept of an animated neurotic ant from Lasseter before he left and it was never decided.
1: None of this went to court or anything. Is this one of those cases where it's like –
0: He said, she said.
1: Yeah, and like, oh, we're making a movie about a nonconforming ant – That's not enough to, like, own all movies about non-conforming ants, is it? Well,
0: they didn't go to court, so you could argue or extrapolate from that that the general concept wasn't unique enough. As we've talked about before in this sort of thing, it hadn't been expressed in a story yet. It was just a pitch, basically. So, there was enough to go on. But also, too, maybe it's a case that why would you bother because the film's being made anyway by the time – a court case may conclude it's all too late. So, there's that possibility as well. You basically make a calculated risk to put your money into the production and marketing of the film rather than spending the same amount of money on a court case.
1: Right, right. Or put the heavy pressure on your own animating worker ants to pump this movie out. I see what you've done there. Very clever. Very clever. Horrible.
0: Okay. Let's uh jump to the box office champs. So. Have a guess which one came out on top.
1: Well, I would say Ants is probably Woody Allen's highest grossing movie, but second to A Bug's Life in overall box office.
0: I don't know the first answer to the first one, but I'm 99 point sure you're right. Ants cost $105 million allegedly and had a domestic US gross of almost $91 million plus – $81 81 million dollars in foreign for a grand total of almost 172 million dollars and a bug's life cost allegedly 120 million it made a lot more domestically 163 million plus 200 million foreign for 363 million so a grand total of 360 million versus 172
1: I wonder if Bugs Life came out now, it'd make more money.
0: Well, the question is, would a sequel do well? And that, my friend, could be a topic for later in the podcast. Okay, I'll,
1: I'll remember that. Park that enthusiasm. Just while we're here, I was in fact uh, correct. Movie starring Woody Allen, Ants, is by far the top. Including movies directed, it thrashes the second place, Hannah and her sisters, by almost $50 million. So, there you go. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. Have a guess which one did better. Ah, This is a bit tough because I reckon critics at the time, 1998, were probably into Ants and into its sort of more contemporary adult theme. So, I'm going to go with Ants.
0: This will blow your mind. Okay. Ants holds 93% with critics. What? No. Versus A Bug's Life, which holds 92% with critics. Ants holds 52%. With audiences, and I would say not surprisingly, A Bug's Life holds 72% with
1: Yeah, see that audience thing. I can imagine critics watching Ants going, yes, yes, I do get this movie. I do understand what it is like to be laying there on a psychiatrist's table or whatever and feeling flattered by its adult themes.
0: And also too, if you look at the casting, like imagine being a critic. They would look at Woody Allen, Dan Aykroyd, Anne Bancroft, Jane Curden, Danny Glover, Gene Hackman – Etc. 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 I think, you know, quality actors, Christopher Walken,
1: yeah, yeah, Sharon Stone, like the nineties there, adults, you know. Oh, look, they referenced Pulp Fiction. Kids won't get that, but I will. (laughs) Tick one plus one in the column there. Yes,
0: (laughs) I agree. Do you think the first film Ants helped or hindered the box office of A Bug's
1: Life? Probably hindered. I think surely, if Bug's Life came out with having not come out after Ants, it probably would have made a little more money. But it seems like people didn't all run out to see Ants anyway. So, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think exactly that. I don't think A Bug's Life suffered. I don't think Ants ate the lunch of a Bug's Life. I think the films came out far enough apart and look so different that you wouldn't see Ants and then think, oh, I won't
1: see Bug's Life.
0: I think you're more likely to have thought at the time – That Ants film looks weird. I won't see that. I'll save myself for A Bug's Life. That's right. Let's uh, then jump to the awards. Okay, best title, Ants Versus A Bug's Life.
1: I hate the Z in Ants. That's just awful. And I know the main character's name is Z and things like that, but it just looks like something – it looks like some mid-90s new metal bullshit.
0: Yeah, it's like that – Era of, is it Avril Lavigne, like Skater Boy, where you spell something like SK and then the number eight yeah. and boy was B-O-I Ant. or something like that? Ants Or Too Fast, Too Furious?
1: Ants, the new album from Papa Roach. You know, just um, <laughs> some 90s awfulness. So, A Bug's Life, for me, wins this one just by virtue of it not sucking.
0: Ding, ding, ding. Agreed. Okay, best poster. A Bug's Life. Describe to the podcast audiences, <laughs> Ants has- Essentially, the word ants in quite large font dominating the poster. This is on most of the theatrical posters at the time. And then a tiny little ant on the word ants. Um, Another version had like an image of the ants in the foreground and then like a cityscape in the background. But if you look closely, the cityscape was actually made up of, um, I think it was rubbish or something like that. And... A Bug's Life had an image of like a leaf, a bit like that book, The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar, and then like a hole in the leaf and three of the characters, including Flick, the protagonist, peeking through the leaf. I thought they were pretty boring posters, both of them, but A Bug's Life was more intriguing.
1: Look, I understand who the ants, like you say, it's either small ants and a big word, ants, like, oh, I get it, the movie's called Ants, or a tiny little ant, it feels to me like they've have they purposefully kept their design, their character design not foregrounded? Whereas a Bugs Life feels a bit more confident. It's like, look, here are the cute and wacky characters that your kids can enjoy watching while you try and get eighty five minutes of sleep.
0: Agreed. You know, it just yep, feels a bit totally. more
1: vibrant. So Bugs Life takes this one for me.
0: Wow, that's two awards in a row. Come on, okay. Bugs Life. Now it's the Bill Fleck Big Break Award. I think this time I won't explain all of the awards. So, to our new listeners, I heavily encourage you to listen to previous episodes. Or as we go, try and guess what the hell the Bill Fleck Big Break Award is. But I'll give you a clue. Just think Billy Bob Thornton meets Ben Affleck. That's all you need to know. What? So, ants. I would say, it have to be Woody Allen, right? He made <laughs> yeah. the jump from an indie film to a mainstream film. So that seems like a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, surely this is Woody Allen's biggest budgeted role as an actor or director, the largest film he was has been involved in. I'm sure it cost more than the curse of the jade scorpion that he directed or whatever. Oh, possibly, just maybe. But so yeah, Woody Allen. I mean, Anne Bancroft, what was she doing right before she <laughs> doing her 67th year of fucking career. I don't know. Anne.
0: She's doing okay. How about A Bug's Life? I only had Dennis Leary, but he was already famous beforehand.
1: Yeah, I guess so. It's so hard with animated movies because it's not like, I don't know, do you give, we've talked about Woody Allen a, a bunch in this, but does animated movies kind of give voice actors more, I'm not disparaging the hard work of voice actors, You're fucking amazing, does it give them, like do you think Woody Allen was in the recording booth for like four days for this? He was in there for exactly five days. Right, right. So we've probably talked about his contribution to the movie much more than he deserves. You know, I'm sure there's animators who spent five days just trying to work out one shot at the leg hinge on a back leg of an ant, who may have also committed some sort of alleged offence, that animator. Who knows?
0: Well they do say when they're discussing who plays the best Joker of all time in the Batman universe, that besides naming Heath Ledger, we've got the new Waken Phoenix film Joker coming up, we've got that classic guy, Caesar, someone from Caesar the- Romero. Come on, mate. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got um, Jack Nicholson, of course. But they actually throw Mark Hamill in there quite a lot, and some say he's got the best joker laugh for his voice acting in the animated or one of the animated Batman T V series. So I suppose you can argue that they're working as hard as anyone to try and convey that all through their voice. But it obviously goes hand in hand with the animated animation, right? It's just it's a it's a synergy, a synergy between the audio and the visual. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, let's give it to Woody Allen.
1: Okay, the Woodster. He gets an award. Oy. Don't turn Moving up, in person. On. We got to. Yeah. Oh, don't <laughs> let anyone know.
0: <laughs> we'll put that award on ice for him to collect later on in his that, career. That's right. The before they were famous award, or the blink and you'll miss them. I don't know. Answer just was full of all of these oldies, like great actors, but it seemed like these people were taking a bit of a paycheck or having a bit of having a five-day session in the audio booth to pay for a new holiday, I don't think there was anyone new in that film. It makes
1: me wonder, do you think kids are impressed by celebrity voices in animated movies? Or do you think producers put celebrities in to do the voices really for adults watching them? It's a great question, and I've been
0: dying to talk to someone about this for the last 20 years and never found the opportunity, so now I will. I think it's the latter. Because- It's just marketing, right? I mean, you basically hire a voice, you hire Angelina Jolie or someone like that. The name goes on the poster. But let's face it, if you look at Bugs Life, which is mainly populated by sitcom stars of the time, it works fine. No, it works really well. But there's no way in 2019 that they would hire someone as comparatively unknown as Dave Foley, who was from Spin City, who played. Flick, the hero, now, they would definitely hire more like a Brad Pitt type name to sell the film.
1: But it's selling the film to adults because looking at Ants, for instance, no one says to like a seven-year-old, hey, hey, seven-year-old, do you want to go and see an animated movie with the voices of Anna Bancroft, Jane Curtin and Danny Glover, Gene Hackman? Like, <laughs> what do you, like, hey, kid, you loved... Uh- Husbands and wives, why don't you go see a movie starring the voice of Woody Out? Like kids like looking at the list of ants, it feels like forty-seven-year-old white studio executives went, Oh, I surely did love those movies from the They've certainly cast a bunch of people that I can't imagine any child being like, I do enjoy the films of Sharon Stone. Basic Instinct. <laughs> you know, like who Whereas like like you say, like in a bug's life, Richard Kind or David Hyde Pierce Kids probably wouldn't know them any more than they'd know Sylvester Stallone anyway. So Exactly.
0: There's also two other reasons. I think circling back to the 47-year-old executives you were speaking of, I think it's them risk mitigating by thinking if we cast these names, we give this childish genre of cartoons some sort of credibility, authenticity, which stems back to the idea that this film, I think, was – in the last 20 to 25 years, basically since the first Pixar film, was in a window where people were less confident in four-quadrant animated films. Much like in the early days of the superhero films, there was less confidence in having the X-Men wear bright, colourful spandex. You know, they had to have them in muted leather onesies because it was just sort of like a bridge too far to... The audience wasn't ready or the studios weren't ready to totally dive in and commit entirely to that. So by having these actors, it's like saying, oh, you know, it's a badge of recognition. It's a sense of authority that this is a quality film because quality indie actors and mature Hollywood darlings have chosen to be in it.
1: But that feels like a a trend that there's – like looking at the la the actors from the last couple of Pixar movies, they've certainly moved away. Animated movies seem to have moved away from huge name celebrity voices. Like not to disparage Amy Poehler, who's awesome, but you know, having her as the lead of Inside Out, did she played the lead or they play the mum, whatever. Anyway, but you know, like they're certainly not. Uh, they're not like superstar. Like wow, I instantly recognize the voice of whoever. It feels like, as a trend, that's sort of subsiding. Whereas maybe in the '90s, that was something that they felt no one would go and see Toy Story unless they, unless they heard those dulcet, reassuring tones of Thomas Hanks.
0: <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, let's move on then.
1: What was the award ke- again? Oh, remember. it was the- <laughs> before they were
0: famous. Oh, there is one. It was Hayden Patentieri or whatever her name is, Panet, who played Panet, Dot.
1: Panentera? Oh, that's her, yeah.
0: So she played Dot, I think, when she was about nine or ten in A Bug's Life. So she wins by default.
1: Yeah, for Hayden Pantera.
0: Now the Tommy Lee Jones Show Stealer Award. I had for Ants Sylvester Stallone, who played the character of Weaver. I just thought he was really good. I thought his voice suited the look of the character, and I just liked him being juxtaposed against neurotic Woody Allen.
1: Yeah, I believed sort of squashed head soldier Ant, sort of very Stallone-ish. So, look, that would be my pick from ants From A Bug's Life, I loved, uh, and I spent half of the movie thinking, who is that voice, Uh, Richard Kind, as the idiot sidekick of Kevin Spacey's grasshopper? I was like, this guy cracks me up.
0: I love Richard Kind, and actually, you're stepping on one of my awards for later on because I've got him for a couple of awards, but he's great. He plays the character of Molt. Yeah. And listeners will know him as, I think he's the cousin of Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm, isn't he?
1: He's sort of recognisable. Yeah, he's sort of like lumbering, overbearing, big mouth, comedic. Yeah.
0: He's often cast as as a New York uh, Jewish character. Right. He plays a – it's always a big deal that he's Jewish and York in Curb Your Enthusiasm, and he always – has like kind of like a whiny voice, but he's kind of lovable at the same time. Like, I really like him. He's great.
1: Richard kind of rules. <laughs>
0: and how about Bugs Life? I had Michael McShane, who plays those two bugs, tuck and roll. I thought he stole the show. I thought he was great. Like those crazy little, little guys.
1: Yeah, but I think the animating of them was what made them really work. Like, to be honest, I can't really remember their voice work beyond their just like funny noises.
0: Yeah, I know. I just thought they basically punched above their weight and were more amusing than the screen time that they had. Definitely.
1: They made made the most of it.
0: So who do we give it to? Richard Kind in A Bug's Life or Stallone in Ants?
1: Give this one to Sly if you've already decided Richard Kind's winning some future awards. This is like awards at a school formal or something. You've got to spread them out. Done. All right, let's bang through to the Dustin
0: Diamond Award. Who didn't make the most of their (laughs) opportunities after appearing in these films? So under Ants, I think everyone really kicked on. I mean, the actors certainly were pre-established. The directors themselves, one guy has done like four Madagascar films. The other guy did most recently that alien animated film called Home in 2005. I didn't really notice that anyone hadn't made the most of their opportunities. But I thought in A Bug's Life, Dave Foley from Spin City, who I mentioned earlier, who played Flick, hasn't really kicked on with a big career since then. Like, he sort of stayed in TV land, not really had a major lead role since Spin City.
1: Isn't there some reason for that? And I know zero actual, this is all conjecture or something I heard or something, but didn't Dave Foley end up in some terrible divorce problem and he can't leave Canada? Like, isn't there some shit like that? I don't know. Someone was fucking explaining it to me. Maybe it was on the Joe Rogan. Someone was explaining to because I don't listen to no Joe Rogan podcast or whatever. Someone was explaining to me something they heard about Dave Foley on that shit. So, maybe that's why. I don't know. Go Google it. I don't know.
0: I don't know that. So, I guess this one's personal life might derail their career, possibly. Let's just call it a draw.
1: Let's give a personal life derailing their career award to Dave Foley here, because isn't that what the award is about?
0: Uh, I guess it is now. Dave
1: Foley uh. talks about how he owes more in child support than he earns. I don't know. Maybe he's a shitbird. Maybe he's just in All a right. terrible situation. I don't know. I don't know enough about Dave Foley. Leave me alone.
0: All right. For now, we'll leave the Dustin Diamond Award on the shelf. Okay. Let's jump to the winner-winner Chicken Dinner Award. Who came out on top? I would say in Ants, it has to be Chris White's and Paul White's who then leverage this opportunity to do the American Pie films and so on.
1: Was this before American? Oh, they directed American Pie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and wrote. Right. Oh, sorry, no, no, you're right. They didn't write, but they leveraged the screenwriting credit to direct together American Pie from a screenwriter's script.
1: Right. Are we sure they weren't leveraging the clumps? Or did they do that after American Pie? I don't know. <laughs> but good for them.
0: I'd also say that in A Bug's Life, it has to be John Lasseter and Pixar, right? I mean, this was their second film, I think, after Toy Story. So, increasingly upping the quality of the animation, the- technical innovation, the quality of storytelling, building the Pixar name.
1: I mean, this was part of that Pixar run of just making movies that, as far as these kind of movies go, are pretty unimpeachable. Toy Story, Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and The Incredibles. I mean, I'd say Cars, the next film after that, is less is a so, sort of step down, but Ratatouille and then WALL-E after that, then Up. I mean, it's a pretty amazing sort of run of quality in these movies, right?
0: Yeah. Let's give it to Lasseter and Pixar. Okay. Okay, Best Dialogue Award. What's your favourite quote?
1: I don't know. Will you hit me? What was some that, that, some that you like? i got to think. I don't remember. Uh-
0: I hinted to ones earlier in Ants. It was when Weaver says, don't you want your a- aphid beer? And Z says, call me crazy, but I have a thing about drinking from the anus of another creature. <laughs> I just love that. It's just funny. And A Bug's Life, <laughs> there's that bit where Francis... Says to another character, "Turn your butt off." It's one of those. um, Oh,
1: the light glow.
0: Yeah, glow bugs, whatever you call them, glow worms. Or anyway, it's just funny. Like just the idea of having your bum or your butt as a light just charms the pants off me. I'll give you ants because being PG, they could be a bit more cheeky with their coarse language. And there's even a line I think where Woody Harrelson, no, not Woody Harrelson, Woody Allen, Woody Allen says. He actually changed a line, he actually did a bit of a script punch-up to make the uh, pacing of some of the jokes and just the general pace of the film match his, you know, witty kind of banter in the way he sort of talks in that um, almost like a, you know, he's thinking out loud as he speaks, that stream of consciousness. And it's that bit where he says to Princess Bala, played by Sharon Stone, something along the lines of, I was going to have erotic fantasies about you, but now I'm not. Like just that kind of thing, which is a bit creepy now as well in terms of how the film was aged. But they're those kind of lines which kind of like elevate the film to being a bit more mature, which I guess suits my sensibilities.
1: Yeah, right. Ants don't mate in that. It doesn't matter. Look, We could get into the biology of ants and how this doesn't quite make sense, but sure. Anyway.
0: All right, let's jump to the Nicolas Cage Chewing the Scenery Award. You go first. Ants, who do you have?
1: I mean, I guess um, Gene Hackman. He gives his role a reasonable tilt, though he's not particularly un-Gene Hackman. I don't know. It's it's hard with animated movies with this. like, Is anyone in Ants giving a performance so full of gusto and craziness that it transcends the medium?
0: Yes, Christopher Walken.
1: Really? Okay. I just
0: find his voice- is actually even – it's arguably more suited to animation than live action. No
1: way. Live because action gets all of his facial and actally body things as well. Come on.
0: Yeah, true. No, no, I'm not saying, you know, it's a zero-sum game here. Like, I want my Christopher Walken and everything. But I just love his cadence. And so, I think it works fantastically in a film like Ants. So, I had him for Ants and for A Bug's Life, I had – Kevin Spacey, in the same way that Kevin Spacey often chooses the scenery in films, and I know that Kevin Spacey, for reasons previously discussed, he's not spoken of much these days, but putting that aside, looking at his performance 20 years ago, I quite liked him in the role of Hopper. Sure. You know, he's quite menacing and his voice work was quite good, but overall, I'm giving it to Walken in Ants.
1: Right, okay. So, villains in animated movies get a better opportunity to be a bit hammered up, hammered up, unless that character is Peter Porker, the King of Ham, in that other movie.
0: Ah, oh, well done, nice work. Okay, the taking a paycheck award, which speaks for itself. I don't think anyone was taking a massive paycheck, but I had Jennifer Lopez in Ants and Brad Garrett, who's like big, tall guy with a deep voice, <laughs> who was on. Um,
1: what was it? Everybody loves Raymond. It, exactly. Wait,
0: wait. Everyone loves Brad Garrett. I
1: would have thought everyone in one of these animated movies is just taking a paycheck. You roll in, you do your five days or whatever, until you told me that Sly did it for free, and now I don't know what to believe. Like, if Sylvester Stallone wasn't getting paid for ants, what the fuck? Like, what does the world come... I know. Like, did Sharon His Stone think she'd been- win an Oscar from this? Like, why would she do it for free?
0: <laughs> I'm assuming they were all paid and paid handsomely, particularly given how Katzenberg was so keen to beat A Bug's Life and... Having those star names arguably would have helped to do so or at least try and foster some attention, some publicity. Um, anywho, okay, moving on. Let's jump to the Stephen Tobolowsky Award, aka Hey, It's That Guy. Pretty hard in an animated film to name someone, but just going by that sort of voice you recognise. I had Danny Glover in Ants and in Bugs Life I had Richard Kind, who we mentioned before, both those voices just jump out at me. And it's sort of voices where you can't automatically place the face, but you recognise the actor's voice.
1: I find it really difficult to watch animated movies when they have mid-level famous people because I find myself not wanting to just cheat and look on IMDb as to who they are. I just find myself going, oh, fuck. who's that voice? God damn it. Who is the voice of this character? And then finding out later that it's, you know... Uh, Oh, my God, it was Danny Glover. Oh, why didn't I figure that out straight? Oh, it was Anna Bancroft. Why did it take me so long to figure that out? I like it when straight away I'm like, huh, classic Niles from Fraser as the stick beetle. I do understand this. So I-,
0: I love your self-imposed masochism where basically you can look up on IMDb with three or four thumbtaps who it is, but it's like, no, I'm going to distract myself from the movie, I'm going to torture myself mentally, And just try
1: and work out who this is. Yeah, that's right. Because it's the sense of satisfaction you get from being like, oh, yes, of course, Phyllis Diller, whom I remember from those movies.
0: (laughs) I love it. All right. So who wins there? I've got Richard Kind, Danny Glover. I guess you could say David Hyde Pierce as well. Who's your winner, Ants or A Bug's
1: Life? Dennis Leary is my winner. I don't know.
0: Which film was he in?
1: Which film was Dennis Leary and He's in A Bug's Life, dude. We talked about Dennis Leary earlier. What the fuck? <laughs> See, I'm already confusing them. These films are twin movies. Yeah, that's It's confusing. Go. Dennis Leary was the inspired choice to play Francis, the bug, the lady beetle. Ah, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay.
0: All right. The Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough. I had Dan Aykroyd from Ants. Others know him, of course, from Ghostbusters. And I had David Hyde Pierce who played Slim? He was in *A Bug's Life*. Also known from, of course,
1: Frasier. Who are you handing this award out to? Look, Dan. Ac- in the absence of Delroy Lindo, Dan Aykroyd had his shot. The mid to late '80s and the early '90s was Dan. Ay- he he had a fair whack at an innings. So not Dan. Now he's just into his alien vodka or whatever. So who was the other one? Was Dan Aykroyd your option? And whom? David, David I- Hyde I- David Pierce. David Hyde Pierce. Cecil done. David, the
0: award is all yours. Jumping on to the Memphis Reigns Award, Ants, I had Z, obviously, played by Woody Allen. And I guess I just had it, A Bug's Life, Malt, which is a weird name, played by Richard Kind.
1: you got to flip this one. You said all of the characters have stupid names in these movies. Flick and, and Hopper and Dot. The, the person who should win is the character with the most normal-sounding name, which is Dennis Leary. There's ladybug named Francis. Every time they're just like, Francis, Francis, Francis. I thought that was really inspired, uh, you know, like really funny. But yeah, right, right. everyone right. else is like, Heimlich. What a ridiculous name. Slim. Malt. Like they've all been given names that are sort of sim- like Hopper. or I get it. He's called Hopper because he's a fucking grasshopper. Of course, Francis. Like all dogs should be given human names because that's funny. You know, your dog should be named Dave, not Rover. So again, Francis. 100% wins this.
0: I've always thought that if, if and when or when our cat dies, I'd love to have a cat called Greg or Ian.
1: Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. I think less so for cats because you can't really take them to the park and yell their name. But, you know, if you're like, Dave, Dave, come in, Dave. If your dog's name is Dave or, or yeah, Frank, 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 Stephen, Charles, Charles, you sit down right now. You know, that's much better than Gidget or Spot Zanzibar. Imagine taking a greyhound to the park and calling out, Bev, Beverly, yeah, Bev. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah, like I think it's people seem to like those sort of really stock standard names for male dogs, but the female dog with the really weird, with the really dull standard name, like, yeah, Beverly. Beverly, come in, Beverly. <laughs> it's pretty funny.
0: <laughs> All right, so Francis wins.
1: Francis wins.
0: Okay, jumping to the... Memento Award, name for moments you completely forgot about until you re these movies. So, for me, I had basically ants for the sexual references and drinking from an anus. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And A Bug's Life, I just had the voices that I'd forgotten were in there, the actors who I couldn't recall, like David Hyde Pierce and Dennis Leary.
1: Yeah, I found a lot of ants more surprising in my – surprised me more versus my recollections. Like, I forgot, oh, yeah, Danny Glover gets decapitated and there's a scene where his, like, dismembered head is talking to Z. I was like, huh, I forgot that happened in this movie. Whereas in Bug's Life, it was more small things like, ah, the scene where the mosquito drinks the, like, buys the globule of blood, sort of more low-key, less surprising things, just, like, neat scenes. Um, Whereas Ant's, like, I agree, the sexual references or the sort of calls for a working-class uprising. We're all like, oh, yeah, okay, that's that's pretty funny. So Ants, I think, for me, takes this one.
0: All right, done. Now, the Die Hard Award, named after the influence of Die Hard in inspiring a subgenre. So I would say that both films left a legacy, but not necessarily in the plot itself, but the legacy was, I guess, the definitive end, more or less... To 2D animation, hand-drawn stuff.
1: These are hand-drawn?
0: No, these are computer-generated. Yeah, right. This okay. was kind of like – the. this was the beginning of the tide when, you know, essentially these Pixar films started replacing the popular aesthetic of two-dimensional films that Disney had made famous for decades beforehand.
1: So, these movies are why things like Titan AE flopped the next year or whatever well I think it was all
0: just in that early stage and I' just everyone was sorting things out and I think this film inspired what could be computer-generated films and got the audience used to it which means yeah that's right films like Titan AE which was two-dimensional stuff kind of seemed a bit dated in comparison
1: yeah or Sinbad you know which came out exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that yeah I think you're yeah, right on
0: all right let's uh Come to that time of the podcast, it's the Milking the Speed Cow Dry Award, named after the infamous sequel Speed 2, which took the high stakes of a runaway bus in a crowded city and relocated it to a sluggish cruise ship. So imagine this. Imagine a big shop producer is calling us from a Hollywood studio or production company and they're looking around at their competition and everyone's making sequels or reboots of successful films and our producer has to compete. So, if one of their previous films has brand awareness and an inbuilt audience, then it may get a sequel which can play at the cinema or go straight to a streaming service. Now, let's say there's an opportunity to make a sequel to one of the twin movies about animated insects, ants or a bug's life. Which film do we make a sequel to and what's our pitch to make it?
1: Go. Okay. Well, first question, which movie? I
0: feel that A Bug's Life, for commercial reasons, makes more sense and I think there's more story that can be told because the world's more expansive. Good point. In terms of showing other insects. I do think you could actually continue this subversive theme and execution of ants as well, though, and just – Try and improve upon what you didn't quite get right the first time.
1: It feels like Bugs Life has a world that already exists, whereas Ants, you'd have to open up it to discover that world. So it's like, do you want to play in a large sandbox that sort of already exists or do you want to sort of build that sandbox from scratch? Exactly. But
0: let's be realistic. If Pixar is looking through their films, it's more likely that they're going to make a sequel to A Bug's Life and it's actually surprising that they haven't. So should we just go for the obvious one here? The obvious film to make a sequel to, but of course, make an original sequel and do A Bug's Life. What do you think?
1: I think we'd need to recut. Like, the legacy of Ant is not worth doing a sequel to. Recasting the role of Z with Thomas Middle Middleditch or something, that bloke from Silicon Valley, just isn't enough. So, okay. okay. A Bug's So, Life. let's
0: go- Let's go. Here we do. We're going for a sequel to A Bug's Life. Bugs Life 2, still bugging. Okay. Most of these actors are kind of pretty accessible still, so that's good. I think we can get almost every actor we want back. Maybe not Kevin Spacey, but everyone else. (laughs)
1: Well, Hopper was defeated. He'd been eaten by a bird or whatever. So.
0: Oh, that's right. He's off screen anyway. That's fine. It's taken care of. So, if the first film is about a quirky, nonconformist inventor, who has been told to do the same thing as every other drone, and he goes his own way, learns to try and perhaps moderate his eccentricity but still maintain his individuality and inspire these ants to do something different and to fight against their oppressors. If that was the backdrop in the first film, where do we take that story and that theme about fighting conformism and and fighting bullies in the sequel? What's the natural evolution?
1: Well, that's a good point. I mean, the movie ends and the main character's sort of learnt all of his his lessons, right? Do we want to make the sequel about the further adventures of Flick or do you pivot and go, you know, Hayden Panettiere's character Dot is all grown up and she now needs to leave the colony to find adventure and Elsewhere in the in the Bugs Life universe.
0: Or do you do a spin-off universe film where you just follow the circus troupe?
1: Well, I mean, a circus troupe of bugs going from place to place solving crimes or whatever. Yeah, you know, I could see that. I could see that working, right?
0: Or do you do something called a Bugs Life, but they're different bugs. They're not ants. They're something else. So, it's kind of like a spiritual sequel. Mm, what are the bugs you're interested in? Well, bees are good.
1: Uh they can uh, make that B movie, though.
0: Uh you're right. Okay. Wasps and hornets are good.
1: Well, is there a way you go the other way? Like, if the first movie <laughs> – this is terrible. If the first movie is about finding the courage not to conform, <laughs> does the sequel need to be sometimes a little bit of conformity is not so bad? <laughs> so you find, a, <laughs> you find a group of insects who are freewheeling, just freewheeling crazy people, and they need to be taught a little bit of discipline. And they need structure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't know what sort of animal is uh, – what sort of insect is. A colony of just, they're all going in different directions. I don't know. How okay, that works. so
0: basically, it's like a film like Full Metal Jacket with insects, where basically a freewheeling thinker has to conform to the system.
1: Yeah. Has there ever been a movie which his moral was think less? Like. <laughs> <laughs> And these are all the reasons why
0: Pixar hasn't made a sequel to A Bug's Life.
1: Well, I mean, it's certainly why they haven't like, just flipped the concept on its head. But look, look, okay, if A Bug's Life is a rough sort of retelling of the Seven Samurai story, they never made a sequel to the Seven Samurai. They did, however, make a sequel to The Magnificent Seven, which is just about two survivors of the previous Magnificent Seven recruiting a few more members and just saving another village. We want something- So how
0: about we do something like that? What if there's a tragedy like a flood and taking that scene from Ants where Woody Allen goes into war, he's knocked out, he wakes up. A bit like, uh, didn't this happen to Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones? He goes into war, he's knocked out, he wakes up, everyone's dead. And essentially, what if, for example, there's a flood caused- How's this? How's this? There's damage done to the environment. It's an environmental story. Okay. Right? It damages the bug's home, the ant's home. Only a few survive, including the princess and Flick. And they've got to either find their way back home, and so it's a road film, or they have to rebuild their home and form partnerships with other species. Okay. So it's a film about tolerance and collaboration.
1: Okay, I like that. Tolerance and collaboration. That's a lesson we can all learn. What about this? Do you know what the average lifespan of an ant is? Let's say it's... Okay, neither do I, but I'm going to say 12 months. (laughs) What if you do a movie that's set uh, 11 years after the original, but it's set, therefore, in the shadow of the legacy of the hero Flick, but 12 times 11, 140 generations of ants have gone by, living under the shadow of Flick. So it's almost like a sci-fi movie now. It's set in the distant ant future, in a In a future that has been ravaged by, like you say, some sort of calamitous climate change uh, event that for the ants, you know, could well just be the rising puddle affecting their colony. So, in that way, we can follow a new group of ants needing to also come out from under the shadow of this epic hero who existed. In distant memory. So as well as dealing with uh, tolerance, uh, it also deals with the burden of uh, legacy. So it's basically Mad Max meets A Bug's Life. Hey, that's cool. Mad Max 3. <laughs> that's cool. So like they go, you know, many, many generations ago, 130 generations, 130 cycles ago, there was this hero flick, but but we've forgotten what it was like. You know, maybe the ants have closed themselves back off. Like they feel like they don't need to Deal with the outside world that is increasingly changing, and maybe uh refugees from from other bug colonies are, uh, having to come into the towards the ant nest because of these changes in climate. So a new group of ants and bugs must team together. What about
0: we overlay that with the ticking clock of their life? Because there's a scene in I think it's Bug's Life where an insect the bar. Says, I've got to go. I've got 24 hours to live.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. A fly, it I think. Flies off,
0: right? <laughs> yep. So that's a ticking clock where you've got to try and do something before you die, right? To seal your legacy. There is, and this is a pretty hard segue. So if you're getting used to that Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome version, I oh, know it was. This is okay. a strong pivot. Instead, Flick has lived his life and he has actually lived and whatever. But he never actually wanted to, he never got a chance to explore. Because in the first film, he's an outcast and has to find his way back in. But now, in the last year of his life, he thinks to himself, perhaps he's diagnosed with a sore limb, one of those little legs. Oh, I know. He's, and got, he goes, he's got answer. And he's got an answer. Nice. Yep. And so now he embarks on the secret life of Walter Mitty style, like or the bucket list adventure, where he leaves with perhaps Dot or whatever, and he goes in search of something. Maybe he goes in search to rekindle something he had with one of those bugs in the troop. Okay. So he goes on a road trip to find the troop to say goodbye before he dies. So he's now, rather than being an outcast, he's choosing to go on the journey, and then he encounters new characters along the way before giving our audience what they finally want at the end which is him being, I guess, coming together again with his old mates from the troupe that essentially shaped and forged his life in the first opportunity way back when.
1: You want a an old ant to feel like, look, okay.
0: One last shot, one last chance.
1: One last chance at glory. Maybe you're right. Maybe we need the returning cast, but I do like this idea of grafting it onto a Mad Max-esque adventure so maybe it is that thing maybe it's sort of fury road-esque where flick is trying to get somewhere and along the way he kind of recruits these various bugs they're trying to stop if they're trying to stop some sort of climate change event what is that like who is the villain of this is there an insect or is there are they trying to stop humans is this i think we can
0: happily vilify humans that's an easy one and deservedly so so i think we can Rising, not rising sea levels, but let's just say there's a construction site nearby and they're just essentially bulldozering through the area and it was once a forest and now it's going to be a car park.
1: So, will all of our ants and bugs and spiders team up to drive away a construction company? Is that- what we're thinking?
0: Well, now we're talking Avatar, aren't we? So, <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, basically,
0: like- they could be sort of like, you know, hopping into the electronics like Ant-Man into uh, various automated self-driven tractors and stuff and destroy them, or they can escape. So, do we want to have them up against the humans using all their small ability powers to overcome these giants, or is the journey about them being on the road in search of a new utopia? And maybe it should be the la- the latter, like Fury Road, but maybe like Fury Road, they get to what they think is the utopia. In fact, I think they call it insect utopia in ants, don't they? Yeah, there's some. And they get to what they think is the utopia Ants not. And maybe utopia was inside them all along.
1: So it's like in Thor 3 or whatever, like uh, home is where you make it. So they've been too late to stop the inescapable ravages of climate change and have to what come to terms with the idea of that Flick has to lead his entire colony – to a new and safe place that they discover. Or they go back exist- to the
0: car park okay, and happily live ever after and discover benefits where they kind of like live in the crevices of a building and they forge a new home, much like wasps or bees forging you know, a hive in the cracks between a building instead of in a tree. But
1: It's unfair to make insects solve climate change really, isn't it? Like, Surely we can't burden these tiny characters with that. Like they can just so maybe our, they can just pivot. Our and tiny respond. guys go back. Yeah, and maybe they just adapt
0: themselves and, and basically benefit from the the car park and building construction and live happily ever after, where there's lots of food in nearby bins, great views at a great height, lots of rainwater nearby and the gutters and stuff. and they adapt to a different life. and at the very very end, Flick and the princess have a baby. It's a new generation.
1: Flick's Flick super old? (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) Well, it could be like
0: Fury Road where basically Flick has a harem.
1: Oh, okay, right, okay. (laughs) So essentially it's a
0: hip polygamous relationship, a polygamous community. It's like uh, that film Big Love meets Fury Road meets A Bug's Life.
1: (laughs) Great. All of those things I didn't like about ants, just like having all of your references be adult-related stuff, here we are, cramming it in here. I like it. Um, Look, I think there's some pretty good ideas in there.
0: And we need a title. So what's our title going to be?
1: Bug's Life 2. A Bug's Death? (laughs) Oh, shit. That's dark. It's very, very full circle there. Uh, You loved a bug's life. Now get ready for a bug's death. The story comes full circle as Flick grapples with... It's like um, uh, Hanukkah's Amour or whatever it's called, but with an ant. I'd like to see that poster, that old lady, replace her with Flick, staring out into the distance, riddled with bug dementia, going on one last adventure. <laughs>
0: okay, so it's a bug's life, colon, Fury Road.
1: No, it's a bug's death. That's The story comes Done. full circle. We, the, whole, the whole trailer writes itself there. It's like a movie that hopes to win an Oscar in 1994, like uh, Summersby. And
0: that, ladies and gentlemen... Is how you make a sequel to a bug's life. Yes. <laughs> okay, that brings us to the end of the show, Gabe. Where can listeners find more of your work and musings
1: this week? Few more jokes about answer thats ant cancer. You can find me on Twitter at Gabe Dowrick. There's no jokes about ant cancer there.
0: <laughs> and I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube.com/slash Ben Phelps. You can find all my individual podcasts, including Twin Movies on all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Gabe, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take care and stay tuned for another Twin Movies Battle very soon. Adios. Bye-bye.